we got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. One plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hello and a very warm welcome to F1 Nation. Tom, you've just got back. You've been queuing up at the airport. They won't let you back in the country or you got back in just by the nick of the skin of your teeth or whatever it is. Natalie and I were stranded in Britain while we had to watch the, the fantastic Baku Grand Prix. Um, from the comfort of our living room, I don't know where Natalie was. I think she may have been somewhere else. Oh, a sandy place, maybe. Amber Sands, yes. Lapping up the great British sunshine. I can't work out, Damon, whether you're pleased to see me or not after that intro, quite frankly. Um, well, I'm pl- pleased you're back <laughs> safe. I mean, you know, you had travelling all night and everything. You're wi- he you're- looks a bit weary, doesn't he's he? He's a bit weary. Do you know what? I've just got off what I call the zoo flight. You know, the charter flights that come back from races and they're full of Formula One people, absolutely rammed. Everyone's knackered, asleep, still got, still smell of Formula One. And that's me. And B.O. B- mm-hmm. B.O. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Middle seat for me today as well. So. And, and also, oh, God, the middle seat, that damn middle seat. But also, I, I always find on those flights, you can't work out if you're tired, overtired, hungry, thirsty. You either want a beer or don't want a beer. You're just in this sort of no man's land and you're trying to sort of come down from actually what was an epic weekend of racing. Sergio Perez wins the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Sebastian Vettel moved teams. He picks up his first podium for Aston Martin and their first podium in Formula One. Pierre Gasly's back on the podium too for Alpha Tauri as he comes home third. And I'm now in a meeting room at Heathrow. Do you remember back in the days of Bernie and Max, Fisa, Foker, and all, they were always plotting and and... Uh, and, and having little secret meetings. You've been through the dustbins, haven't you, for other people's notes. <laughs> and they have all these meetings at Heathrow, right? all the you know people flying in from Ferrari and Sauber and all these different places to have meetings with Bernie and Max at Heathrow. Well, all I can say is I hope it's a more I hope it was a more glamorous location than where I'm sat right now. Um, I have got a cup of coffee. I thought there were going to be biscuits. You're travelling man, Tom. I mean, you, you signed up for this. I was going to say, mean, you don't is, get any sympathy is, from us. I'm not asking for I mean, sympathy. I'm just imagining what it was like in the Bernie uh-huh. and Max era. But you, you were actually there in Baku uh, and a bit of an odd one because they didn't have uh, anyone coming. You know, there was no fans in the, in the compound at all. It was all sort of isolated uh, from the outside world, I believe. You've got Baku going on in the background. You can see people looking out of the balconies. There's some people obviously enjoying it. There's some, some uh, apartment blocks. There's people getting very excited. Roof, people on rooftops. Hey, um, so there was some, there was some David, interest. As Pinks was just saying, it was, it was a fabulous weekend. But it's funny you should mention people looking on balconies because it's the first race we've had behind closed doors, which is what we've been doing for the last 18 months where there were no grandstands because we've always been at permanent track tracks and obviously they have grandstands but they've been empty so it's given it a very sort of naked feel but they didn't even because this is a street track they didn't even bother building the grandstands and it gave it a very different feel it almost it felt busier because you didn't have these sort of open front just gaping holes by the side of the track with nothing in them and um and as a result, it was a really good vibe all weekend, I must say. So, so when it comes to the start, I mean, with no one around, I mean, is it an odd, there's no noise. I mean, there's no, there's no, you know, people, there's no excitement at all, is there? I mean, is there, you know, apart from, I mean, on well, TV, we don't notice it, I suppose, because we can't, we can't get the vibe, but there's not that, the crowds, the kind of intake of breath and all Well, we haven't had the crowd for the last goodness knows how long, have we? But, but well, we did in Monaco. I thought there was quite a good atmosphere there. 
I think Monaco's different though, isn't it? With the boats in the harbour and uh, there's a yeah. sort of, there is a sort of, it's an individual atmosphere. There are no there. yellow flags in Monaco. That's one thing. That's one difference we've established anyway. Yeah. But I mean, that we had, what was it, most yellow flags, I think they were in competition. A lot of people were competing over qualifying as to whether or not this was the most red flags, actually, not yellow flags. There was no yellow flags in the race in Monaco, but there were more red flags than any other race bar Hungary, some other... You, Tom, you've got the statistics. Qualifying what was, was more red flags or more stoppages, wasn't it, than any other qualifying session? It was mad, wasn't it? We had four red flags. And, and I mean, that, it's a funny thing. It's, it's funny you should bring Monaco up. What, we have two street tracks. One of them, there's absolutely no drama at all in the race. As you say, no yellow flags. And yet, drama throughout... Baku and they're both street tracks and I've been trying to work out why on one track the drivers are driving within themselves so much and on other tracks they're just not seeing it and they're just hitting the barrier the whole time I guess it's got something to do with not running maximum downforce in Baku whereas you're fully fully loaded up in Monaco aren't you so the car's got more grip but it, it's an extraordinary thing isn't it there was an interview we had uh, with uh, with Daniel Kvyat who was a reserve driver I think for Alpine is that right and and he is mm-hmm. he was saying about David Baku. David yeah. friend of the show friend of the oh, show yeah, Daniel yeah. Kvyat good I mean, so. super sub off the bench when you couldn't make oh, it well, I, well, okay well I missed I missed that one big, 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 big pardon oh well, clearly big it worked yeah Oh, right. So because you're not on it, you don't I, listen. I, 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 I see. I, 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 that kind of team we'll player, are we? We'll cut that bit out. Right. We can, we can edit that <laughs> out. Anyway, so uh, Danny, Danny, of course, friend of the show. Uh, much love, Danny Kvyat, who, uh, who also <laughs> revealed that he thought Baku required courage. And I thought if Danny Kvyat says it needs courage to drive around Baku, it does need courage. And I think... Oh my! I mean, it is. Uh, they're doing... What's that maximum speed? It's three... I've heard a number of 340... K or something was recorded at some point. I think uh, one one of the races, the fastest ever speed down that straight was Valtteri Bottas, twenty sixteen, three hundred and seventy eight kph is two hundred and thirty five. That's not po- mph really on a street track. Yeah, that's that's a bit scary, isn't it? I mean, you have to say. I mean, Kibbe I wouldn't want right. my tire blowing at two hundred and whatever it is twenty. I mean, we just had Indianapolis where they're touring. They're going round regularly at 220 but these guys are going down a street circuit and when the tire blows those incidents were quite scary weren't they lance, lance stroll going he went left into the wall max went right and uh, but if max had gone left there's the the end of the pit lane entry wall which would have been a much heavier impact so i think we got away a bit lightly there or a bit luckily um and they're still investigating what caused it all we don't know i mean um, i've got some speculations but uh, i'm sure everyone does but uh well, Pirelli have said that it's, they believe it was debris and uh, because actually the left rear is not the most stressed tyre on that particular circuit, that uh, wear is endured on the front right. And as you say, more analysis will come, but that's their initial findings. And I mean, you know, on the one hand, I don't want a race to, to be determined by a tyre blowout. On the other hand, it was very dramatic and exciting, wasn't it? And it made for an incredible podium. I mean, you know, I'm all for Max Verstappen taking the win that he deserves. But when you see that Bottas, Hamilton and Verstappen, it's the first time none of them had scored any points since 2013. Catastrophe. I mean, for them, that's a, that's hell a of huge a catastrophe. Yeah. Catastrophe for them, but actually thrilling for the fans to see a podium with Perez Vettel. Let's come to that in a minute. And, and of course, Gasly. I mean, there's so much to talk about. Yeah, it was full of action, full of action. That's what we like. And, and the Formula 1 history of, you know, incidents like that. I mean, I'm thinking of Adelaide with Nigel Mansell's tyre, dramatic tyre blowout that cost him the world championship. Um, uh, colossally, it's Mansell was the famous uh, <laughs> term that uh, Murray used. So, um, but colossally, it was Max Verstappen, sadly, for, for, for Max Verstappen this time. So it cost him a Grand Prix victory. And you know what? Do you know, do you know who I blame? Paul DeResta. Commentator's curse. Uh, what, what did he, he said, say? You know, he said something along the lines of, he'll no doubt give me a call now to correct me, but it was something along the lines of with like three, three or four laps to go. Well, you know, I don't want to jinx this, but he has just been extraordinary. You know, everything under control. What a brilliant race. Actually, all of that is still true. But moments later, the tyre went. You know, until that moment, until Max's tyre went, it had been one of the quieter 
Baku, Azerbaijan Grand Prix that we'd had. Do you remember 2016? There was a mad Formula 2 race prior yep. to the F1 race. And, and we, were, we were predicting yeah. madness in F1 <laughs> and it never we? came. Weren't we? Yeah, People changing flights, thinking we're never going to get out of here tonight because of the race and all the protests and everything after the race. Incredibly quiet. And actually, there'd been about 30 laps of not much going on. Everyone in a DRS train, so they weren't getting the pass down that long straight, even at 378 slash 235 uh, MPH. And, um, but then, bam, it all came alive. And... <laughs> I don't know. I loved those last two laps. Where were you guys on the, should they have just finished the race behind the safety car? Were they right to stop it? Were they right to restart it? No, you, I love the fact they restarted. Yeah, it's got to be a standing start. I mean, I, I just, you just cannot have a Formula One race finishing behind a safety car. I mean, we've seen that and it's a, it's a pretty dull anti-climax. So uh, that was that was brilliant. We got, we got more bang for our bucks. Um, you know, two race starts. And of course, this is, a real good warm-up, uh, a kind of suggestion of what it might be like when it comes to Silverstone, when they have the uh, the new qualifying race. Um, what is the, what is the correct term to call it? It's a, it's the pre-race to the main race. Um, it's going to define the the grid. So, um, and I think nowadays with the with the cost caps as well, they they really are. I mean, there was quite a bit of damage there at Baku, and that does that. Now we're starting to count the cost. And when I was racing. You know, you could smash things up. No one ever said, do you know how much that cost? <laughs> I was always, I was waiting for a bill, but I never came, thank God, because uh, I'd be bankrupt. But, um, you know, nowadays they really are adding it up because that's £100,000, if you don't mind, off my um, in a budget for next year. And another- or maturity th- or whatever it is, machismo. I think it would trim or, that beard or- of yours as well. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code F1Nation. Damon, I want to know your take on this button that not, Lewis not the Jensen button, pushed. the other button. You're talking about you're talking about the magic brake button. Perez on pole, Hamilton alongside him on the front row. Perez gets away well. Hamilton with wheel spin. Perez tries to cut off Hamilton, oh! who locks up and goes straight on. And Hamilton has gone from second in the race to falling out of the points. Oh, so sorry, guys. Yeah, don't sweat it, Lewis. Don't sweat it. Did I have magic on? Uh, yeah, but yeah, just knock that off. I could have sworn I turned it off. Oh, uh, yeah, no. you did. Uh, but knocked it on uh, with the upshift. How, how can it be that easy well, to do? Well, uh, when I was racing, Natalie, we only had about four buttons and it was still quite easy to press <laughs> the wrong one. So, I mean, now they have quite got... And if you do a little sudden move, uh, I should imagine it's quite easy to, to get... I mean, I thought we're going we're gonna to mention her... Um, going to mention Perez because we basically he won the race didn't he he did a fantastic job but on the restart he really made Lewis jump and I I was surprised by how aggressive and I think Lewis was probably really surprised by how aggressive uh, Perez was going to defend and I it's quite easy to imagine that you know in his quick reaction it's it was possible for him to flick a button or um, you know, uh, and that's, that's that's clearly what's happened. He's gone in deep and the, the brakes weren't uh, working. Well, D- Damon, can I, I was just trying to work out the sort of chronology of when he pressed this button because he was sat on the grid. All his brakes were smoking, weren't they? So he'd clearly mm. been using that button on his way to the grid to warm up the brakes. Your keen journalistic brain is going into overdrive, Tom. <laughs> well, hang on, guys, tell me, but if I've got this wrong... He'd obviously been using it, and to me it smacks of him just forgetting to turn it off because that button needs repositioning if it's that easy well, that's to flick my point. it on. I, I know I heard you I, say I, it, Pinks. Yeah, but I just I don't... I, yeah. So I think it I must be a way... it could be that easy for a multiple world champion just to, you know, saying that he's taking evasive action from Perez, that he just accidentally knocks his button. I mean, how can well, that we've be? we've got on-ball cameras, haven't we? And I, and I think that uh, Anthony went through it on the on the coverage I was watching and I, and I couldn't quite mm. see. And of course, Anthony is slightly compromised because he does work for Mercedes uh, as, a, <laughs> as a simulator driver. Um, so I don't think you want to be critical, but I didn't see quite where Lewis turned a button on or off. Um, but they have a no-blame culture, as we know in Mercedes. So he can't blame the team and they can't blame him. So we might never find out. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I'm being unfair, but I think he just forgot to turn the system off. That's what it smacks of, doesn't it? Yeah, so what it means is, well, just to explain to the listeners, who uh, I'm sure they all understand this principle, but they cut, when you're on a, on a warm-up lap, 
Uh, it's easy to get heat into the rear tyres because you've got 1,000 brake horsepower. You can just give it a blat of throttle and, and that warms up. But the fronts are more difficult. So they turn this bias towards the front. So the front brakes get really cooking hot, which you can see the smoke pouring off. And that goes into the wheel and that warms up the tyre. And uh, that would be a good device to do on a, on a lap, but not during a race because you need the, the brakes to be working uh, front and rear, not, not just fronts. Uh, so um, it's like a front handbrake in a way. I think what you're saying, Damon, is DCTC has cracked the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think we're just slightly suspicious as to as to what actually caused. I mean, I, I mean, it's very easy to do. I can remember we had a strategy button that uh, was a start strategy button um, in Jordan, and you're supposed to remember to turn it off after the first lap, and I forgot. And then it went into default mode, which meant shut the engine, shut the engine down, and then oh. Pedro Denis went over the top of me. So, um, oh, yeah, you can you can forget. Whether Lewis forgot to turn the button off or whether he accidentally put it on, I think what's becoming clear this year is that he is making more mistakes than he has done in however many previous seasons that we've been witnessing. You know, you've got the Imola mistake, there's this. I mean, I I cast my mind back to the Bahrain test as well and him crunching across the gravel, having thrown it off. It's just, there there are mistakes creeping in. You can't, that is a fact. You only make them when the pressure's on, don't exactly, you? Exactly, Natalie. I mm. think that's the point. We're, we're, we're seeing now Mercedes having stress fractures. You know, we're seeing them uh, being put to the test by a com- competition, which is quite, you know, obviously hotting up. And particularly at Baku, it showed that the, the Red Bull had speed and it had cornering power and it had all sorts of good things about it. And and they were having trouble getting their tyres warm. And, you know, and coming off the back of Monaco, where they... Well, at least Lewis didn't have such a great race. And uh, so they are, you know, they know they're going to have to to fight. And I think they've put all of their resources into uh, the next year's car. I think they may have not as pushed as hard on this car as they need to, given that the comp- competition is going. So I think they're going to be fighting a battle on two fronts uh, with new next year's regulations development and now having to up their game a little bit on this year's car to, to keep the championship because I think well DH to be fair Red Bull have got to fight those two battles as well on those fronts haven't they? I think Red Bull will do and I think but I think that they are a, such a I think they're an opportunist team and I think they know this is their this is a chance for a championship and I think they know that if Mercedes slightly take their off, eye off the ball they could they could slide in there with a with a uh, you know with a competitive more competitive car than they've had and the one of the reasons i think this um uh, uh, tom is because i was listening to your uh, beyond the grid podcast with the brackley boys and uh, oh, and yeah, and that, that was, was very interesting indeed and i think it was uh, basically they they talked about one of the seasons they decided they weren't going to develop the car anymore and they piled everything they had into next year's car which is of course i think it was the car that um that uh, button one with so yeah i think that um oh no it was actually the tra- transfer it was it was transferring from the pre-hybrid era to the to the hybrid era so i think that it was one of those junctures anyway they they decided to forget this year and and focus on next year and i, I don't wonder if that's a strategy that they've adopted too soon um for for 2021 well, except, d- guys i think the the mistakes now are operational not anything to do with the development of the car. They've still got a really, really quick car. Yeah, but it's a, where your focus is, isn't it? You know, we talk about this laser focus required. A slightly different take on it is uh, I was quite interested how Lewis came into the weekend off the back foot and sort of came good. I mean, really looked like he was going to win the race or at least um, take a podium, having sort of, struggled really struggled and, and and then obviously Bottas just sort of faded behind him I think if he had got a result in Baku this weekend he would have felt a massive sense of achievement because again the chips were down and he was able to fight back so it was just quite interesting that these these sort of shifting mindsets and constantly adapting to the challenges I, I think it's great to see this because I think we're now seeing we'll we will see the best of Lewis and I think we'll see the best of Mercedes and I think that, uh, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, it wasn't so long ago we were talking about Max uh, making mistakes and costing himself points as well. So, you know, it is it gets more like that uh, when you have closer competition, especially between two teams. I think that you see people 
uh, their weak spots being exposed because they are under more pressure. So this is great for us. Great mm. entertainment. It's, it's a really a live championship. Um, and uh, really yeah, I think is. we're going to be... And you see the roller coaster weekend, you know, even for Max, his frustrations after Quali was red flagged, you know, because he believed he would have gone better. And same for Perez. And then, uh, and then, you know, to be sort of dominating the way he was to then get that uh, tire blowout. Yeah. I mean, what a roller coaster. But Pinks, it's interesting you mention Bottas because, what did he, he qualified 10th and finished well down the order just in front of George Russell in the race, didn't he? And they need, Mercedes need him firing on all cylinders if they're going to genuinely take the fight to Red Bull. Not only in, in terms of points for the Constructors' Championship, but in terms of when they're struggling like they were after Friday practice or during Friday practice here in Baku. Um, they need both cars giving them answers because they tried, I, I think they threw the kitchen sink at a, a new way of getting heat into the tyres. They'd struggled in Monaco heating up the tyres. They tried something different uh, in Baku and it didn't work. And Bottas just never really turned up this weekend. And therefore, they're suddenly becoming a one-car team competing against uh, an increasingly functional two-car team at Red Bull. So they need to sort the Bottas situation out as well as keeping you know Lewis at the top of his game. And, and, and how long have we been saying that about Red Bull? And look, finally, yeah. Perez seems to have come good. Bang on. And, and, uh, yeah. and it does make a difference, from, massive difference. From the moment Bottas is private plane went technical in Helsinki and he turned up late he didn't get to Baku until 7 p.m on Thursday and for a reference I think most drivers try and be there by lunchtime so uh, if you do a track walk you miss the track walk he missed his one of his engineering briefings and that and he was on the back foot throughout and never ever got going yeah I, I always play better golf if I turn up late because you don't have time to think about I it. Got more, the thing is, you've you got so much adrenaline. You're kind of going, you're, you're kind of going, come on, guys, let's go. Where are we going? And uh, so, yeah, I'm not sure about turning up late being a bad thing. I think... Um, I think I, I wondered how long it was going to take us to get on to I've slipped it in. So I slid it in there. But, uh, uh, well but uh, yeah, so, I mean, but Valtteri, he's... This is... I mean, Valtteri, if the car has not, not been performing, then a Mercedes have got a problem. You can see Lewis's talent kind of sees them through a bit. And, you know, Valtteri now has got, because it was such a close qualifying, there was was only, how was it, front to back, it was about six tenths of a second to tenth place or something. It was very tight on time. So now you've got a lot of cars that can slide in between him and Lewis. Before we move on from our fantastic Finn, um, random fact that I learned at the weekend is um, Yuri Vips is the Red Bull young driver and he won... Pinks, you and I have both got a foot in Formula 2. I'm just updating you here. Um, Yuri Vips won two of the three Formula 2 races over the weekend. Mm. And he was stood on top of the podium after his first win. And I thought, God, I really recognise that national anthem. But I've never... He's Estonian, by the way. I thought, I've never heard the Estonian. Why don't I know that? Anyway, so I asked him after. I said, that's weird. I really recognise... Did, did they play the wrong national anthem? And he said, no, no. Estonia and Finland have exactly the same national anthems, just the words are different. <laughs> okay, brilliant. <laughs> there you go. That is I a thought fascinating it was important fact. and you needed to know that. That's a good pub fact, isn't it? I like that. Well done, Sergio. Well done. Thank you for finishing that off for us. Great job. This is for you guys. The great Sergio Perez, he's up to speed. I mean, what a great weekend. I mean, he's coming on strong yeah. and he's so... He's, I love seeing him interviewed. He's so calm, he's so laid back, you know, doesn't really get too overexcited about anything. He, he's very laid back. He knows his job and he's chipping away. He got a big hug from Max at the end of the race. Well, he's a man of his word, isn't he? He said pre-season it was going to take him five races to get up to speed and bang, race six, he wins. You can't do better than that. Oh, spot on with his predictions. Uh, I think I think Perez, I I mean, I'm going to blow my own trumpet here. I'm, and Natalie is my witness. <laughs> Natalie, how long have I been saying Perez is a great driver? Please oh, tell me since, 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 I've, since, we, since we met. I mean, you know, you know the first thing yeah. I said to you yeah. was, what do you like yeah. about yeah. him so yeah. much? I, I think he's. I think he came into F1. He showed uh, a lot of talent. Was he in Sauber and he nearly won a race? I think in in yeah. uh, Malaysia and it was wet and he was flying and then yeah and then yeah. It all went, we went to, to um, McLaren and he McLaren got. McLaren wasn't but you so see, hot. It's the environment. It wasn't right mm -hmm. for him and they 
and they, and, the, and McLaren wasn't in a good place then either. So he still outqualified Jensen more often than not. Right. So they, there you go. I mean, he, ha- he has what it takes. Look at the podium finishers, Damon. All of them rejected by their teams last year or the year before. Yeah, they were kind of the the changeovers, weren't they? But, but, but ironic. They were let ext- go. They were let yeah. go. I did say so. It's poetic, kind of seeing um, seeing Perez and and Val and uh, Sebastian up there on the podium together. One of them's won the race, but uh, you know, both great drivers and uh, and also experienced drivers, been around the block for quite a few times. So it's really good to see them back on the podium. If they'd had Fernando yeah. Alonso up there as well, what a what a story that would be. <laughs> Vettel was quick to congratulate him. You saw him give him a big Perez a big hug. Yeah. That was nice. Yeah, it's everyone loves I mean, Perez. He, they, they seem to, don't they? And everyone loves Vettel. So an engineer was telling me over the weekend that Perez loves short radius corners, ones that are over before they've barely before they've started, kind of thing. And that's what Baku is full of. And yet, give him, take him to Hungary, where you've got those long one eighty degree turns where he can't deal with understeer. Basically, guys, tell me what you think, but. Is, is is this definitive? Has Perez fully arrived or are we going to go to Paul Ricard in two weeks' time and find that actually he is still half a second off Max Verstappen? Uh, I think it's a trend. I think it's a, it's a good trend. It's trending in the right direction. I think he'll. I think he's building strength and confidence and, and the team uh, are doing so in him as well. So, um, yeah, I think it takes a while to jump into a new car, a new team and find out how it works. Um, I take, take yeah, your point. And I think yeah. he... It, yeah, sorry. No, no, I was just saying, Natalie, it, it takes, it, it, you know, I take your point, it is a unique-ish track in Baku, um, but um, I think we've seen flashes of his, car, you know, his his uh, performance when he gets going in a race. He's not like some drivers who actually, um, they qualify well. I'd say Valtteri qualifies well and then doesn't perform quite so well in the race, whereas Sergio doesn't, doesn't typically, goes better in the race. So um, I think he, he learns oh, a lot. I- Andy Green, technical director of Aston Martin, said that Checo has, it's like he's got traction control in his bum slash right foot. He said he's so brilliant at feeding in the power. He knows exactly where the limit is. And therefore it makes him, um, he doesn't overstress the tyre as, as a result. Why he's so good at... Hence being so good with tyres. Exactly. Yes. Traction control in your ass. That's what you need. It's quite interesting with Perez because he is still keen to point out that this is a bloody difficult car to drive. I mean, he was looking quick all weekend, wasn't he? But you didn't necessarily predict he would take the victory. And obviously, right until the bitter end, you didn't think he would. But he was ready to pounce when it mattered and was very aggressive at that restart. Yeah, he did. And so solid. When he had when he had Hamilton, you know, right behind him, all those laps. I, I felt he had him, had the whole thing. I felt he had the whole thing under control. Yeah. Didn't feel he was about to make a mistake like a rookie. He was just, mm. Perez has arrived. He's got that confidence. So... Yeah, he's one I of those. Hope. He's one of those annoying drivers. I, I stuck behind Yano truly once at the A1 ring, which is now the Red Bull ring, um, for an entire race. He didn't make a single mistake. I kept trying to get him to fumble the ball, and he, and so Perez was like that with with Lewis behind him. And Lewis, you could see he was thinking, he was running out of t- ideas. He was he was on the radio all the time saying, you know, I, he, I can't stay with him in the middle sector, and he didn't have enough straight line speed. And um, so, you know, Perez is experienced. He's calm in the cockpit and uh, in the race, he's very strong. Yes, mate. Well done. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. Great job. That's a podium, man. That's a wrap. Thank you. Car was amazing today. 15th, 15th, 13th, 13th. That man's first four races with Aston Martin have now finally, he's turned a corner. Sebastian Vettel on the podium this weekend. The first podium for Aston Martin as a new iteration, would you call it that? A new combination, maybe. You know, a, a, new, a new arrival. He's, he's, he's slotted in. It's come since Monaco, I feel. Monaco, something like mm-hmm. a penny dropped. I mean, uh, you know, he was... Uh, he was he was it was coming that the signs were coming but definitely in Monaco he looked like he was a happy man in that car and it's translated across to, to Baku um, he didn't quite get through to qu- in qualifying did he because the re- they they had the shunt at the end so uh, he didn't get his last run in so he was a bit frustrated to not qualify but of course not getting into the top 10 gave him the opportunity uh, of having his tyre strategy which is the better tyre strategy which then ultimately 
got him to second place. And actually, you have to say his teammate, you know, did incredibly well with that recovery drive until the tyre blowout. Lance Stroll was having a great race in Baku. The car is good, isn't it? Clearly, they've made... Which we weren't saying at the beginning no, of the year. And nor were they. And then I think when the whole floor and change of regulations died down and they just thought we're going to have to knuckle down and sort this out, they're proving that actually they do have a, a, a good racing car. But taking it back to Seb, guys, what do you think? I'm going to say something that I think you'll probably disagree with, but I think Sebastian Vettel is happier now than he was at any period in his Ferrari career. I think this is the happiest Seb we've seen since 2013. What do you think? Discuss. Certainly the most relaxed. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. He's He feels a little bit, uh, I think that maybe uh, he's he's coming out of uh, a kind of dark, dark spell because he did have an awful lot of bad luck a few races back. But, you know, he's come out of this complicated mess that he found himself in in Ferrari where he'd left his home of Red Bull and then he'd gone to this new team and it was all looking great for a while and then they they had a number of um, changes at the top didn't they in Ferrari and it, his, his plan didn't quite come off at Ferrari so quite difficult to get to that point in your career and and think to yourself you know um am I am I on the on the scrappy but he's uh, he's clearly not he's the old Seb has come alive again I think in in the Aston Martin team but don't you think that about quite a few races this weekend, it was a real shot in the arm for a handful of races' careers. You know, when you see Seb, you see Perez, you see Gasly up there on the podium, they were they were able to sort of um, silence the critics, really. And actually, it gave me a real sense of of the talent that we've got on show up and down the grid, everywhere you look, there's brilliant drivers, brilliant racers who can still at these sort of, you know, stages of their career deliver performances like that when it really matters most. It's chemistry, isn't it, Natalie? I mean, you, you need the right people. You need to feel good in the environment you're in and you need to feel like the people you're with are working with you. Uh, and it, you can see it so often in drivers. I mean, Gasly, of course, we we mentioned that, you know, he, he didn't seem to fit in with the big team at Red Bull and he's gone back to his home team and he's really uh, shown a different kind of quality in that environment and of course uh, we just mentioned Aston Martin and, and uh, Seb and Seb I felt I felt there was this kind of wobbly period at the start where he, he maybe felt oh my goodness me what is this going to be like and the car wasn't looking so good in the test in Bahrain and so forth but things are starting to pick up and yeah um, the chemistry seems to be right seems to be good they, they had a different power unit did they have they all the, the Merck guys have fresher power units uh, Correct. They yeah. did. So that may yeah. that may have been. It's always nice to get a bit more horsepower. So um, you know he probably felt a bit better a bit better about that. But the car generally looked more competitive, didn't it, than it than it had had done. But on the subject of Gasly, and you say he didn't fit in with the big team, and he's now um, doing a fantastic job with Alpha Tauri. Do you guys think you get drivers who are small team drivers? I, I remember thinking Giancarlo Fisichella, brilliant in a small team put him in the pressure, pressured environment of a Renault alongside Fernando Alonso when they were winning world championships and he just never quite hit his stride. I think Gasly's a wonderful racing driver, but I wonder if he is a small team driver. He loves being the big fish in the small pond. Well, he went on record as saying that he just didn't feel like he got the support that he needed in Red Bull. And, you know, there's others that can attest to that, that it is Max Verstappen's team and he's moulded them very well around him. And, and Gasly probably felt slightly out in the cold. And he, he you know, whether it's a small team or just uh, a connected team and one that's prepared to offer its support, um, you know, I don't know because I don't know the inner workings of, of Red Bull, but he was, he was quite keen to point it's that out. It's very difficult to get letter. a team that provides the same level of comfort to both drivers I've always felt there's definitely a, a yin yang thing going on in in teams if if one driver's up the all the energy mm. of the team goes to that that driver and then if you know to mm. actually turn that back in your direction is very very hard but if you can do it it's like it's like water in a bathtub it all slops to one end again you know it's kind of it, you have you playing this fight all the time for the energy in the team and you know, you to you to stay on top and keep it all going your way uh, means you have to beat your teammate. And so I don't know how you get a level, you ever get a level continuum 
Um, but um, yeah, it's it is such a good point. It's a brilliant point because it's about the hearts and minds of all the team members as well. You know, you want to really immerse yourself in that team and make them work for you as much as you we saw for it in them the as Mercedes, didn't it with with nico yeah. you know there was battles over mechanics you know and eventually they there was one year where they swapped the mechanics over from so lewis got yes. nico's mechanics and vice versa to try and level it out um i don't know if it's i, I you know so you'll get factions within the team and that's the job of the top man the, the toto or the christian to to stop that and i get the sense with red bull it, christian and Helmut Marco and and the sponsors and everything they're all absolutely wedded to to Max uh, and so it's very difficult to move in on that patch I think and feel comfortable which is what Sergio is having to do now but I think that's where his experience is is mm. is in he's he's a bit thicker skinned and he's able to cope with yeah. that yeah he's just at a different stage of his career isn't he if Gasly doing a fantastic job got the opportunity to go back to the big team do you think the outcome would be any different with two, three, however many years more experience he has? Or do you think they would just revert straight back to how it was? I think it's purely hypothetical because it's not going to happen. Christian's made that very clear, hasn't he? But yeah, go on then. Let's play the game. No, I, I, I think Damon? I think it will eventually for, for Pierre because I think Pierre's got that. He has got that slightly, you know, star quality to him. He's definitely showing that. Um, I think that he's, yeah, I, I think I can see uh, Gasly having having a, an opportunity in a top team. Maybe not. not oh, sorry. Not, not necessarily Red Bull. Because Max no. is there. You know, Max no. could be there for the next 20 years, um, you know, as long as the team are competitive. So I think that, uh, you know, it, where to go um, and, and having to blind you've got we haven't mentioned George Russell I mean you know he's been making noises about moving up I'm ready to win a championship where's he going to go that's the, mm. the you know the whole musical chairs problem with Formula One is a real thing and sometimes young drivers have to be patient um you know look at look how long Sergio's had to had to wait you know he's had his he's he's been up he's been down he's been going along and now he's back in a really great position it does come to it, it can, you know can come to fruition. Sebastian Vettel. I mean, how old is Sebastian Vettel? He's only thirty-one or two, isn't he? He's not. No, yeah. no. He, no. thirty-three. No. Thirty-three. Well, I didn't start in Formula One until I was thirty-three. So you know, and I want to. Yeah. So there's more championships out there for Seb, and maybe a championship out there for Sergio Perez. I mean, definitely uh, Pierre Gasly is going to have to be patient. This is the hard thing in, in this sport: is being patient when you're young. Under pressure now, Pierre Gasly's got Charles Leclerc right behind him. Looks like Charles Leclerc is ahead of Pierre Gasly. Leclerc goes back up into the podium places. He started on pole, he may yet finish on the podium. Gasly's going to come back at him again though. The Alpha Tauri goes a bit deep and gets past. I loved seeing that battle between Gasly and Leclerc in the oh. closing. Wasn't that fantastic? Balletic. Oh. Two mates from when they were really small just going hard like they were karting again and 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 Gasly with that engine problem he was down on power somehow managing to keep Charlotte Bay it was uh, fantastic that was brilliant brilliant racing but it's, let's have two lap races from now on you know just a bunch of them <laughs> <laughs> when we run Formula One <laughs> there was a funny moment in the post-race press conference in Baku um because uh, before the cameras came on, the first thing that both Checo and Pierre wanted to know from Sebastian wasn't about the car, about the race. It was, why didn't you get out of the car yeah. during the red flag period? And Seb went, well, I just wanted to stay in the zone. And they said, yeah, but didn't you need to go to the loo? And he went, well, you know, if I needed to go to the loo, I can... And they went, no, no one actually does that. No one actually pees in their car. And he said, well, anyone didn't need to go. So it was fine. But it Loads of them pee in the car. Jensen's admitted that to me. Damon, come right. on. Johnny told DH, me that as well. DH, now's your moment. Nat and I want to know. I'm, I'm, I'm extremely proud uh, to announce that I have never peed in a racing car. Uh, I never, I mean, I sat on the grid in Spa in 98 um, for an hour and it was, it was tipping mm. down. And we, Poo? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've crapped myself a few times. Um, no, so, <laughs> you can cut that out. Uh, so did you not, did you not get out of the car? Did you not get out of the car at Spa? You no, did, no, you did what exactly, we now call I didn't know how it was going to take and it was going on and on. Eventually I'm going, oh, I'm dying for a pee now. 
Uh, wish I could. Have, I'm I'm convinced that the more you want to go, the the quicker you get off the line. <laughs> but the thing is, right? Imagine trying to pee at 200 miles an hour. I, I, that would be a challenge. I'm not sure I could do that. Well, I, I've never, never. I think that's not on your mind when you're actually moving. I think that's the the theory behind it. Is that actually once you're once you're racing, you forget all about all that, and so you're kind of, you know, oh. and uh, yeah. Let's get a warm, wet leg. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what we've forgotten? We've forgotten. We've forgotten that Ferrari was on pole position. I mean, there was such a lot in the race. We actually forgot that actually we might have been talking about Ferrari having, or Leclerc, having his second pole position on the trot, which unfortunately didn't materialise into anything in the race. <laughs> but how ironic as well that it was his teammates crash this time that prevented anyone else from bettering it. Yes, uh, well, that, was that, that kind of put to bed that argument as to whether or not it was, uh, uh, sh- uh, you know, it's a method to keep pole position, which we don't, we uh, don't like that Pinks, thought, Pinks. do we? Can I pick, I'm going to have to pick you up that. on that, Pinks. I know, and I know you like Yuki, so you're never going to blame Yuki, but it was Yuki, wasn't it? Okay, it was Yuki and Carlos. And Carlos. And uh, also, Carlito. I know you want to talk about Yuki Sonoda, Pinks, but before we move on from Ferrari, um, I never thought they were going to win that race. Even with Charles on pole, I don't know what you guys thought, but it seemed to me it was it was a slightly fluky run in Q3. They didn't they had low downforce, so it was always going to struggle. They were always going to struggle with tyre wear in the race. He got a wonderful toe from Lewis Hamilton, and it all came together for that first run in Q3. But Leclerc bangs it in now every weekend. He's Mister Consistent. Uh, who's better in Formula One than Charles Leclerc? Uh, that you no, know, it's a t- it's a. Pfft, ah, Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> think? I mean, Lewis I'm only going with him uh, that because he's got credentials. I mean, he hasn't won a world championship, Charles Leclerc, yet. But I mean, there's so many really, really good drivers. It's going to get very difficult to to pick through these guys because... Pinks, yeah, who's mean, better than Charles Leclerc in Formula 1? I would Max say... Max Verstappen? Do you think so? I would say I don't think there's anyone better. I think there's three drivers right on the top level. Charles, Max, Lewis. Yeah, I, think, I tend to agree with that, Tom. Yeah. What really excited me about this weekend was just how much talent there is out there. You know, that at any stage of a Grand Prix when things go wrong, there are drivers able, capable to seize those opportunities when they present themselves. And that was really invigorating as a fan of the sport is that I was just, I was just so pleased to see such a mixed up podium. It told me that the talent is everywhere you look up and down that grid is hugely talented drivers and so it should be we've got talent we've got lots of great races and we saw some great racing in the in the in the, in the actual Baku Grand Prix especially after the restart with the Fernando Alonso's wicked kind of uh, outmaneuvering to get himself up another couple of places as well and, and some good Yuki Tsunoda as well did a fantastic job to to uh, to keep out of trouble and also make progress and I loved the fact that Whilst it was his best result in Formula One, he still felt he could and should have done more. Go the Yuki. Damon, you know it's that time again. It's the uh, it's the time to ask me que- awkward questions that I have to think up brilliant answers to on the spot. Is that is that the, is that it's the time? It's ask no. Damon. Hi Damon, my name is Ronita from Indonesia. I want to ask you a question. Is there any particular technology or feature available now on the current F1 cars that you wish you had when you were still racing and might change the outcome of the race? Thank you. Good question. Ronita, yeah, that is a good question. Actually, I'd never um, thought about that because actually what I think you're saying is if, you know, are there any of the toys that they have in F1 uh, things I'd like to have played with, you know. I think that the cars themselves are an overall package, so it's quite difficult to pick one one thing out of them. Um, I don't think I'd like to have the steering wheel they currently have and have to do all these calculations and what, what knobs to change and stuff. I mean, I was quite lucky in my career. I had active suspension and uh, power-assisted brakes, and at one point we had the, quite a lot of the car automated and under my control if I wanted it to. Um, so, um, I think, um, <clears throat> thinking about it, probably power steering is the, is the thing that I would probably like to have had more of, um, when I was racing, but, um, the, this, the, the acceleration and the power they have and the downforce must've been, uh, would be something that would be 
mind-blowing to have experienced. Uh, I think these cars are so much quicker. You look at the pictures of them now on the track, and I can't believe how quick they are. I think the, sometimes it looks like the pictures have been speeded up. So overall, the whole car is um, is quite an appealing uh, step up in performance from when I was racing. But um, I can't think, I'm trying to think of a one good answer of one particular thing that I could have picked out. Um, I suppose it would have to be the, 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 the halo. Yeah, because I mean, <clears throat> that's, a, that's a lifesaver. Um, I didn't need it, but uh, some people did when I was when I was racing. So yeah, Halo pr- probably would have been good. Come on, brake magic. Is it for you? Would I have wanted brake magic? Well, only if it was only if I was going to the grid and not going to the first corner. Um, I don't think that does doesn't seem to be working, does it? When it's uh, when it's actually in a race. Um, too many knobs. Fingers I, and thumbs. There's too many things to think about. I don't know how they cope. I mean, there's so many blooming settings on this car. My yeah, my simple mind would not have been able to cope with these modern formulas. We had a radio and a drinks button. Um, there was a button which we uh, had once, which was uh, subsequently made uh, obsolete because it, you basically press a button as you come into a corner and it change, it just changes down for you. And uh, Renault had set it up. I went to the first test of the year. I'd been had a lovely Christmas. We come out and first test, go down the straight, press this button. As I go into the corner, they'd forgot to set the rev bar. So instead of it changing down when the revs, the car had slowed down enough, it just kept changing down. So the engine revs went up and up and up and up and eventually the engine blew up and, and spat me off the road. And I thought I'd hit the you know, self-destruct button or something. I, I, can't, I just, I just the first, my first lap, first corner, first, you know, time in a car for since Christmas. Hit this button, it goes, <laughs> explode and, cra- and I crash. I thought, what have I done? I only pressed that little yellow button on the left-hand side. And I, I thought, was I not supposed to do that? Anyway, um, so... Um, that was the magic yeah, button. That was the, the magic dis- self-destruct button. Okay, next question. Hi, Damon. I once sat next to Jacques Villeneuve on a red-eye flight from Montreal to London and he was reading some kind of fantasy or sci-fi novel. What is your preferred reading matter? And can you suggest some books that today's drivers ought to be reading? Hi Chris, so uh, yeah, I always suspected that the person next to me on the aeroplane was looking over my shoulder to check out what I was reading, but um, I'm not surprised that Jacques was reading some sort of fantasy uh, sci-fi book because he he, he loved his kind of sci-fi. He, he used to do this thing called, uh, played a game called Dungeons and Dragons or some computer game, I think it was, I don't know what it was, I didn't get into it. But um, yeah, so he, he liked all of that. Um, I, uh, I, I obviously... Uh, I've got a degree in literature, but I I don't read <laughs> uh, I don't read uh, Dostoevsky on aeroplanes uh, so much anymore. But you're um, no Danny Kvyat, good... are you? No, uh, he probably reads it in the original Russian as well, so that's, he's able to. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's so good books. What to uh, sometimes you read to escape, don't you? And other times you read to learn. Um, but um, I, I tend now to I've I've switched. I've gone over to the more visual things and i like to watch documentaries particularly sport documentaries um so uh, yeah i'm um, i'm not i'm actually i'm reading the plague which is kind of like topical at the moment isn't it um dh but, i um, thought you'd be champing at the bit to tell us that we all need to read what was it well, watching the wheel to... or something or what was your book called a good book to read. Yeah, no, my book was called Watching the Wheels. You don't want, you don't want to read that. I mean, you know, there's people out there who want to read it. That's, and that, they should. They should read it. Um, Chris, but, I've read um, it. It's a good read. And you'll both find it an escape and you'll learn stuff as well. The Homer, Homer's, uh, yeah, the, the um, uh, uh, what was Homer's first book? Um, the Iliad. <laughs> the Iliad. That's it. Thank you, Tom. The Iliad's got a great scene in it, which is a chariot race. And uh, I always thought it'd be brilliant and I miss my opportunity and I'm forever um, kicking myself. I will have to kick myself for this. But I wanted to get Murray Walker to record the chariot race in the Iliad, which is which would have been, yeah, great, would have been gold. I'm, I'm a sadly missed that and we've, we will never get him back again. DH, uh, so maybe Tom, you can do this for DH, us. Yeah, you are you know, podcast gold. Voice. You are podcast. So Chris has said, Damon, can you suggest a book? for your fellow F1 drivers and you have actually just suggested the Iliad is that just... yeah I mean, it's, it's full of full of uh, full of daring do and uh, exciting bravery and uh, yeah fights and arguments it's it's a, it's a good book it's a, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a you know it's obviously a bit old now it's a bit but it's a, the the thing is nothing much has changed has it it's a bit like F1 
Wonderful. I'd love to uh, hear more of these questions. They're, they're very interesting. They make me think quite a lot, actually. Some very interesting angles people come from. Uh, and so uh, more of that, please. Uh, if you just record your voicemail message to uh, askdamonhill at gmail.com and we'll play them and I'll try and answer them. Before we go, we haven't mentioned McLaren. Uh, Lando Norris finishing fifth and Daniel Ricciardo ninth. Really solid weekend for them in Baku. But, I mean, Damon, it was a tough weekend for McLaren, though, when news broke that Mansour Roger, one of their shareholders, passed away at the age of 68. Such an instrumental part of that team, wasn't he? He was, and I don't think, I'm not sure quite how much fans realise how important he was to the McLaren story. I mean, he really was... The, the brains if in many ways and the powerhouse behind uh, McLaren's uh, fantastic years with Senna and Prost and uh, he'd been there from the very beginning so and a genuinely lovely guy I didn't have the good fortune to work with him I just knew him socially at occasional sporting events but of course I was racing with the competitive competition which was Williams so I was never really inside the McLaren camp but him and his wife they were always lovely people and a very sad loss for the for McLaren team and the people that knew him and Damon as you say you know you were you were a rival yet he was so sporting he always um got in touch with rivals you know congratulated people when they won if it wasn't a McLaren I mean Christian Horner said at the weekend that whenever Red Bull won a race Mansour always used to text him to congratulate him which is a mark of the man isn't it yeah yeah, I think he was one of those big people who were behind the scenes and only the people who were really uh, involved in the sport got to know uh, who he was. I don't think he wanted the limelight. He was quite happy to, to sit back and see all the fruits of his planning and uh, investment uh, come to fruition. What a weekend, what a race to reflect on. Yeah, and it's another lay week, isn't it, DH? So no Formula One this coming weekend, but then we've got the triple header coming up. Uh, the first... Bang, 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 yeah. coming thick and fast. <laughs> yeah. Do you I know... don't know how we're going to cope. <laughs> F1 Nation is produced by F1. In association with Audio Boom. Thanks very much for listening, everyone, and see you next week.